everyone, and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today, we will be talking about the fifth episode of Riverdale Season 4, Witness for the Prosecution. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski, and I am joined, as always, by the completely not a serial killer, Kirsten McKinnis. Kirsten, how are you doing tonight? I mean, I feel great that my name has been cleared. I know there's been a lot of debate on, is Kirsten a serial killer? Is she not? And I'm glad we're here to set the record straight. I am not a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, unlike everyone else in the town of Riverdale, who, at the very least, is somewhat a killer. You are none of yeah. those things. I'm not a killer at all. And I think that our listeners are probably feeling very reassured about that. I mean, you're killing it with those burns and great but commentary. I'm- Anyways, so uh, there was another episode of Riverdale this week. Yeah. Can you tell when we get to the end of my pre-written notes and I have to create banter? Because that's when it goes downhill. I love when you're like, oh, uh, hey, here's a take. Woo. I'm like, okay, she's done. She's done the intro. Yeah. The part that no one listening can see is that both when I did it and when Kirsten did it, we did like sort of half finger guns pointing kind of situation <laughs> going on at each other. That's what Mary does when she's uncomfortable is <laughs> finger guns. And... What you guys may not know, since this is an audio podcast, is Mary does finger guns a lot. You know, so fun story about me real quick. I was at a wedding recently. I was in a wedding. And during the rehearsal, I was having a really hard time not just throwing a bunch of finger guns, like a lot of the time. So it is definitely a thing that I do when I'm feeling uncomfortable. I mean, you should have done them in the the rehearsal so that you wouldn't do them during the ceremony. Well, that's, yeah, that's what happened. And then during the rehearsal, I managed to uh, mostly just concentrate on not tripping. So that was great. That's what you gotta do when you're in a wedding. Yeah, it's it's very daunting with all these outdoor weddings. But anyway, yes, it was another episode of Riverdale. Uh, <laughs> I, I it's fine. It it was a I, my parents were sitting at a table with me while I was watching it, and I had headphones on, so they didn't know what I was doing. But they constantly kept asking me if I was okay because I just kept putting my head in my hands, going, "Oh no, oh no, not again." So that was kind of how I felt the whole episode. And that's what it's like to be a Riverdale fan these days. No show is doing what this show is doing. The only thing harder than watching Riverdale and podcasting about it is meeting new people who ask you what your podcast is about. And then when you say it's about Riverdale, they go, oh, should I go try and watch it? And you have to realistically let them down and say, nah, you should probably skip it. <laughs> no, you you put up your finger guns and you say, no, don't no. do this. There's so many better things to do with your time. But for you all who are watching Riverdale or who are at the very least just listening to our podcast, Uh, Welcome. Welcome into this episode. And let's jump into this Jughead voiceover, shall we? Yes, let's do that. (laughs) They say every town gets the hero it deserves. Riverdale's was Archie Andrews. Okay, first off, wow, Riverdale deserves Archie Andrews? That's pretty sad. That's pretty Yeah, I mean, Riverdale Riverdale. does suck, so I guess they do deserve Archie. I guess it does. High school athlete by day, would-be crime fighter by night, patrolling the shadows of Sketch Alley down by the south side docks where Archie's community center is. You wouldn't want to be caught there too long after dark. That's when the rats come out. All in all, not an auspicious second outing for Riverdale's dark-suited vigilante. Vigilante. Wait, vigilante? there's Dex? Vigilante? Vigilante? Docs? Vigilante. Vigilante, yes. Yeah, there's Docs, apparently, which is confusing because Docs by the river? I mean, I guess. I, I guess know. if there's like a lake? Yeah, it, I mean, there definitely was a scene last season where they were on a dock because that was when they like unmasked uh, Gargoyle King, I think, mm-hmm. but it ended up being Clifford Blossom, or one of the, not Clifford Blossom, the other Blossom. Uh, anyways. Chadwick and- Blossom? What was his name? Um, uh, 
I don't know. It, it's Theodore. in the past. It was something like that. Anyway, yeah, Thaddeus? Claudius. No. Claudius. Claudius. Yes. But a couple things here. Number one, this has got to be, what, the third time that Archie's tried to be a crime fighter? Like, why are we trying to pretend that this is some new plot line for him? He's done this twice already. He's so bad at it, and he's doing it wearing a black mask like the serial killer that was hurting the town. Yeah, like, so a guy tries to steal a girl's purse on what I can assume is Sketch Alley, which I don't think they were using as an adjective. I think that's the name of the alley. So, okay. And so Archie tries to knock away the guy, and then he gets the he gives the purse back to the girl, who immediately pepper sprays him. Duh! Because he's wearing all black and a ski mask. Like you said, literally like the black hood. So, I, I think it almost would have been preferable for him to wear the superhero outfit. Honestly, you are not wrong, but I wish that you were. I think that he needs to just stop thinking he can fight crime, or he could just become a real cop. I mean, wasn't he? Wasn't he, Was he not one of the deputy sheriffs or whatever? I don't know, because I know that's what the serpents were, the teenage serpents were doing, and I don't know if Archie really counts as a serpent. Like, he has the tattoo, but was he ever really in the gang? I don't think so. Also, during my lunch break at work today, I googled what happened to the Southside serpents, so that's on my work computer now. The answer I got was, <laughs> there, there's no explanation. It was just, it wasn't, because I, I was trying to remember, did they, like, mysteriously end at the end of season three? Like, did they wrap it up and say, oh, and then we, you know, disbanded? No. The ending was the Southside Serpents of the Pretty Poisons coming to save everyone. Stronger than ever. Anyway, Archie should have just worn the suit, whatever. So while we're on the subject of Archie, let's go into his plot, which is actually pretty short this episode. Considering that intro, that was like 50% of what Archie did. He's running the El Royale with Mad Dog and, uh, or whatever Mad Dog's name is. Not Marmaduke. That's Moose. I don't remember what Mad Dog's name is. It's something Uh, like that. It's a name that's not an animal. Right. Madison? I feel like it's a president. Matt? Matt? Monroe. It's Monroe, which is a president. Okay. So I feel like they should change the name of the El Royale because wasn't that something that Hiram came up with? But I I guess they already have like sweatshirts made, so... Let me get, let me uh, give you a riddle. How much do you think I care about the El Royale? Probably the same amount I do. So there's this kid, and I wrote down Toby, but I think his name might have been Tony. It's one of those two. I might have also changed it multiple times in my notes. So I think it's Toby. That's what I settled on, but I didn't. I don't know. It's a name. Anyway, so there's this kid named Toby who comes up with an owner of a convenience store because apparently the kid tried to shoplift a comic book. Archie pays for the comic book that the guy says was $4.99, and Archie's like, yeah, keep the change. Um... Did he give him a $5 bill? Because that's one cent if that's the change you're telling him. Or did he give him like a 20? Like why why, give him a $5 bill? See, this is why it would be so much easier if this was set in Canada because we would know. Because if it was a blue bill, it would be a five. And if it was a purple bill, it would be a 10. And we would know. But your stupid American money all looks the is, same. Is that one of those things we'd be like, oh, keep the loony. No, a loony's a dollar. Oh. What's a penny? But we don't we don't have pennies anymore. Oh. So you would just give them the five and they'd be like, yeah, because there's no more pennies, this rounds up to five. So wait, is the, what's the smallest denomination of money? Nickels. Okay. What's, what do you, we, you could just call them nickels? Yeah, they're nickel, nickels, dimes, quarters, oh. loonies, and toonies. Okay. Keep the toonie. That's two dollars. 
hours. He did not give enough. Also, apparently the shop owner and other shop owners are like, eh, we don't like the El Royale because this is where all the delinquents are. What I mean, would you rather the delinquents just be like roaming the streets? I feel like this is a, a preferable situation. I mean, in Riverdale, I feel like they like having some youths skulking about. Maybe. So I don't know. Archie leaves the gym at night and he scares two people who are taking hubcaps off of a car. I think one of them is Toby. Then I think Toby might pull a gun on him. I, I don't know. It was dark and I wasn't really paying attention. And Archie yells at him to like, go tell Dodger that he's done for because I forgot that Dodger is still a problem. This random dude who has popped up all of a sudden because we've never heard about him for the last three years. Basically, Archie threatens all the kids at his place of business. What is it? Like, at his center. Archie threatens all the kids at the center. Yeah, at the center. He says, you can be at the center or you can run in Dodger's crew and it, you can't do both. So if you're going to be with Dodger, just leave now. Yeah, and Toby and another kid leave. So well, and I also, like, I feel like the right move was to not leave because Archie's not going to know they're running with Dodger and it would probably benefit Dodger to have some inside kids. Well, not only that, the threat is like, if you run with Dodger, leave because you can't be here. Whereas if Archie catches him, them running with Dodger later, he's just going to be like, leave. So you might as well just hang out for as long as you can until you get caught because the consequences are the same either way. Whatever. Also, Toby brings up a good point that like, oh, what happens when you go to college next year? Fair point, Archie, starting this elaborate business less than a year before he's about to leave, theoretically. He's not going to leave. He's not going to graduate high school. He's spending all his time on the center and no time doing homework. He's already behind. We have magically skipped past the major plot point in season three, which was Archie was in prison for like half a year, came back, never really went to school, failed the SATs or the PSATs or whatever he was taking. And like his whole thing was that he wasn't going to graduate on time. And then we enter season four and it's like magically he is going to be able to graduate on time. I don't know when he got pardoned for all of that, but I'm assuming Governor Dooley did something about it at one point or another. I guarantee you the governor does not care. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that we're going to have that plot again this season where like Principal Honey is going to sit down with Archie and be like, hey, Archie, you know, you're not going to graduate, right? You're probably never going to graduate. You're going to be stuck here forever. Nah, we're going to find out that for whatever reason, because of moral fiber or something, Archie's a shoe in for Harvard. Ew. (laughs) Effie talks to Archie and he's like, yeah, we've gotten a bunch of complaints from business owners. And then FP says, here's what you need to do. You need to just get the guys who don't like you, all these business owners, get them around, have a clam bake. I think he was using that as an example, but you know, whatever, throw them a chili cook-off or something and hang out, let them get to know you and then they'll like you so they won't want to be against you. That is what FP said. Archie completely mishears this and decides, oh, so what I'm supposed to do is get all the guys who don't like me, throw a press conference where I just openly threaten them and then they'll be cool with me, which is not what FP said to do. No, he just stands there and he's like, hey guys, and if you don't like it, deal with it. And, and he's like, sounds like such a little rich boy who's like, and if you don't like it, my mommy's a lawyer and my best friend's dad's the sheriff, which basically just says like, I'm going to do whatever I want because I've got the backing of like powerful people. That's not the same thing as saying I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Shut up, Draco Malfoy. Yeah. It makes like... him look more guilty. Yeah. So he says that he'll be extending his hours and they're going to have a big brother, big sister program with the football team and cheerleaders, which we may or may not see one time and then probably will never hear of again is my guess. I've already heard about it too much. Yeah. 
He's just like, my friendly advice is for you to get out of my way. Yeah, he sounds like such a brat. Like, I'm over it. It's very annoying. Yeah, uh, apparently the reason that the business owners are coming after him anyway is not even because they don't like him. It's because Dodger is going around to all these business owners being like, uh, if you want protection from me against me, then you need to protest this center. Otherwise, I'm going to burn your businesses to the ground. I'm sorry. Can't they just like go to the police and tell the police to lock up Dodger? I feel like there's plenty of no, evidence against this Dodger. Is the south side. They don't trust the police. The police and is I, a we need former to stop. south side serpent. No, we got to stop putting so much faith in law enforcement. I understand. Oh, right. So we should put faith in Dodger and Archie instead? I mean, paying for protection is like a real thing. I feel like if Archie was going to do anything, he would undercut the cost for protection and then the, all of the people could pay him and it would fund his center and it would make sense financially. Yeah, but then the they're still going to be attacked by Dodger. Yeah, but then Archie has to stop Dodger. Right. Well, that's basically what he tries to do. Archie goes after Dodger and he's like, leave town. And then Archie magically vanishes. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about Veronica. Mm, so yeah. uh, we've got trial time. Apparently all of the trials are starting now with no regard for the fact that a criminal trial actually takes a very long time to happen. Yeah, well, we've as we've established, there's a lot of like trial crime punishment prison stuff that's just being blatantly ignored in this show. So it kind of doesn't matter. Mary Andrews is apparently on Hermione's side. Also, Veronica had stated not two episodes ago that she was only working for herself and now she's like totally backing Hermione. So I guess that was just like for the public, but like... Well, Veronica also killed a guy, so her life has changed. Who did she kill again? The murderer, the family man. Oh, right. Well, that was the special Halloween episode. Does it count? (laughs) I think it does. Although it's weird that we never heard anything about that again. Yeah. Well, yeah. They didn't know what to do with Veronica that episode. So the district attorney is pinning Hermione's case on being associated with Tallboy Petite. Hermione denies interacting with him. Okay, I'm sorry, and I'm just going to say this now. I have no memory of what Tallboy did or did not do, and what of this is a lie and what of this is truth. (laughs) I feel like they were looking for him. I can't remember why, and then they found him dead in his bathtub, and it, like, looked like it was a drug overdose, but then it wasn't a drug overdose. I thought that was, like, the guy from the first season. I think that's a different guy. But that could be a different murder. I don't remember. Like, I remember that Hermione was with Minetta and that she was like sleeping with Minetta, but then she also killed him. I remember that and they were in a cabin and that part they flash back to in this episode. I don't remember what Hermione was doing with Tallboy. I think Tallboy might have been hired with her to try and kill Hiram, but I thought, I thought FP tried to kill Hiram. Who was the one who actually shot Hiram? I mean, Several people tried to kill Hiram. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I thought FP was the one who actually, I thought Hermione paid FP. So maybe Tallboy is just a cover up and wasn't actually involved in this at all. Yeah, that makes sense. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's, I literally can't remember. I apologize. This is terrible reporting. Thankfully, we're not journalists. Yeah, also, apparently there was large amounts of money in Hermione's monogrammed bag in Tallboy's apartment. I do remember that. Well, but again, this happened also in season one with a completely different serpent for completely different reasons. So, like, that's what I'm remembering. But it wasn't Tallboy. It was, like, Hogeye or somebody. And it, like, here's the thing. None of this matters. Yeah, it really doesn't. The gist is Hermione is partially guilty for some stuff or another. And some stuff, I'm assuming, Hiram is framing on her. It kind of doesn't matter. So there's a really great out-of-context line where Veronica says, I've got two papers due. Yours and Daddy's trials are starting. And she's all stressed out. And it's like, go be a kid. But I guess she can't. She has priorities now. She wants her mom 
out of jail and her dad in it. And then there's this other thing where it's like Pop gets a subpoena from Hiram's defense team because Pop doctored some of the speakeasy's books to make Hiram look more guilty, which apparently is like what the court is using a lot of their uh, evidence against Hiram on. I don't know why that is like the crux of the thing when why are they not using like Hiram trying to murder Archie for money as the thing that he was actually caught for? That seems to have a lot more evidence. I feel like Hiram did a lot of stuff that they don't actually have evidence of. Yeah, but if you want to lock someone up, I feel like the way to do it is try to pin the threat to society violent stuff on him. The stuff that he was actually legitimately doing. All of this book doctoring and like sketchy convos with the governor and all that and like quarantine in the town. That stuff he did do, but I think the wider population is not going to understand that or care about it as much as like he literally tried to murder an underage boy for money. This whole plotline, there's a lot of stuff where like Veronica is talking to various different people involved in the trial and it's clear that she's colluding with some of them because some of them like the federal prosecutor wants to get Hiram locked up and then some of them are like she talks to Governor Dooley because so her plan is basically to get Hermione is going to admit that she's guilty because they came out with evidence that Hermione did own or that that the cabin that some kind of crime happened in was in Hermione's name. Yeah and and apparently it didn't used to be in Hermione's name so this is something that Hiram doctored which I feel like you would definitely be able to find evidence of it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me but none of this does Veronica should have just stayed out of all of this like I feel like the less involved she was the cleaner it would be and the more likely it would be that Hiram would actually be prosecuted like she made all of this messier than it had to be yeah I'm not 100% sure in how like like I don't think she was subpoenaed but maybe she was so maybe that's why she had to get involved no like subpoenaed would mean she had to give testimony and maybe she would be talking to Hermione's lawyer but there's no reason why she should be talking to the prosecutor working against her father there's no reason for her to be talking to people on the other side of the aisle it just it feels unnecessary yeah they basically realize that Hermione is going to be found guilty and so she should just admit to her guilt plea guilty and then they are going to blackmail the governor into pardoning her which is fine because the governor has like Veronica has a bunch of evidence against him for doing a bunch of sketchy stuff over the last couple seasons so that all works pretty smoothly and I guess she gets Hermione gets out of jail I assume yeah but I feel like yeah there was some like sketchy stuff that happened but I feel like nothing the governor did was like that bad like what he's afraid of a 16 year old girl who's already implicated in a bunch of stuff that just doesn't make sense well yeah I think it's mostly that he fake quarantined a town and I'm I got the impression that maybe he was partially responsible for getting Hiram locked up in his own cushy prison oh he also funded the prison or something under yeah, the table. Yeah, that's a little bit sketch. But there's also like, there were all those girls having seizures. I feel like there was a valid reason to quarantine the town. And we still never got like a real resolution on why that was happening. It was something with the water supply, which apparently is done now. So yeah, it was a we'll, little bit weird of like, why is it only the girls who this was happening to? There was a lot of weird stuff. Why did it suddenly stop? Why did it suddenly escalate? Yeah. Like, we never really got answers on that. And so I, I don't, I don't know. It's just very strange. And then we see uh, Hermione actually plead guilty. Yeah, and so that that works pretty smoothly. And so there's this there's this other lady who we see throughout Hermione's trial who's sitting in the back, and she's dressed very nice and has short curly hair, and she looks vaguely like a lodge. <laughs> 
Yeah, like a very pretty dark-haired woman who looks a lot like Veronica. Yes. But older. Yes, but older. Maybe, I don't know, how old would you think she's supposed to be? 30? I don't know. It's hard to tell. Veronica is apparently 17. I would say, well, she's a private investigator. So in order to do that, you probably need to have a degree unless you're Veronica Mars, which I think she also has a degree. But I don't know. She's probably like 24. Yeah, I would not be surprised if the show was like, I'm 24. The actress is very clearly older than that. But she, I like, the one thing I will say about this show is they always do a really, really good job casting people to look related. Yes. And I just think it was very ham-handed the way they had her in the back of like every shot. It was like, oh, wow, look at this person who's clearly going to be important. And then we immediately found out why she was important. Yeah, there was no subtlety. So we got that great, great Riverdale lack of suspense immediately telling you what's going on. So the chick is a private investigator and she is also Hiram's daughter from Florida. Dun, dun, dun... Hermosa. Hermosa? Hermosa, Her- probably. Hermosa? Which is fine. Yeah. Like, it's fine that there's this long lost daughter. I don't really care. It's yeah, I, I don't, I could not possibly care less about I think the only thing I would find interesting about this is if the daughter was born during the same time that Hiram and Hermione were married. Mm. It's also interesting that it's another H name, but Veronica is not an H name. So her mom's name must have started with a V because there has to be two H names and one V name in all family units. Yeah, I think so so it's gonna be some intrigue I guess it's also a little creepy just like the way so basically Hiram gets out of prison I'm not sure why I guess because they were leaning the whole case on this doctored books thing but then Pop was like oh I doctored them and I don't know why he managed to get away on all the other charges but whatever so Hiram gets out and then they don't even try to hide it the Alice who's news reporting everything because she's also news reporting like Archie's crap is like oh Hiram who is this lady and he's like oh it's my daughter and so yeah she's like so where are you going with your and he's like daughter yeah "Mm, interesting okay so I guess that's like not a big deal you would kind of think that that would be kind of a big deal that I mean it's not newsworthy yeah and Hiram's also like oh I want to run for mayor of Riverdale which I get it he could have just done that in the first place when Hermione ran why didn't he do it then I don't know but also I don't get are there people and like I'm assuming if he runs for mayor he's going to do it on a platform of basically like I have a lot of money and I'm gonna cheat my way to the top and scam things and not like because no one wants him to be mayor right I mean even if he got out of jail he was clearly arrested on some charges and it wasn't like oh everything was fake so I think that he's gonna run on a platform of like cleaning up Riverdale and crime is rampant or some garbage like that and then he will probably act then cheat in the election to ensure that he wins so 100% Dodger somehow works for Hiram right oh Oh, yeah, th- that's no question. Okay, well, glad that that's the case. Yeah, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, well, sticking true. I mean, I don't think there's been a bad guy who hasn't in some way worked for Hiram at this point. It's like, wait, there was sort of a little while it was like, oh, the ghoulies. But then Penny Peabody was clearly in Hiram's pocket. So, ugh, ugh. Okay, let's talk about yeah, Betty. Hiram is the big bad. So, yeah, uh, Betty. Uh, so there's this junior FBI class, which is definitely a thing and not fake. When they mentioned it last episode, I thought it was going to be an official thing but it ended up being like oh 
it's run by Charles in the weird FBI basement. Okay, they keep talking about the FBI office in Riverdale. So is this a place that's always existed or is this like a new place that has set up shop when Charles randomly came to town? I just can't think of why the FBI would need to be in Riverdale. Um, But yeah, so they're in a basement and this class is very scientific. They show pictures of serial killers uh, alongside mug shots of non-serial killers and they have to guess who is the serial killer. Who's the serial killer? And Betty knows every time. Yeah, she's great at that. Mm -hmm. Also, Kevin talks about Kevin joins Betty which I like that Kevin's getting a plot even if it's being Betty's sidekick everyone who was at one point interesting has now been demoted to sidekick role Kevin is Betty's sidekick Tony is Cheryl's sidekick and Reggie is I don't know Archie and Mad Dog's like third wheel who's sometimes around who sometimes is Veronica's sidekick yeah so Kevin has decided to join this FBI program with Betty because he literally has nothing else going on and I I don't really love that Kevin's like he's such a one-note character now who basically his entire motivation for anything is oh maybe I can meet some cute guys there like I I just wish we had a little bit more to his personality yeah I was talking um with Bryce about this friend of the pod and he was like gay teens aren't exclusively hooking up in bathrooms and in the woods this is very one note and yet another example of Riverdale being super irresponsible Kevin's like I don't know if I want to do this and Betty's like oh well maybe there'll be some hot guys there and he's like all right I'm down which was the same way I think that he was able to be tricked into joining the farm and also the RROTC the Rorazzi and then he's like what's Charles deal is Charles straight is Charles gay guess what Kevin Charles is age inappropriate Okay, but I do want to bring up that for whatever reason, at the over the summer in between season three and four, there was a lot like a it was a big in the Riverdale fan fiction community. It was a big plot point that Kevin and Charles were a thing. So I don't really know. I guess people decided that would be a cute couple, but I thought that was interesting that they kind of had that in the show as well because that is something championed by the internet. Now this was prior to finding out that Charles is kind of sketch, but anyway. So like you said before, Betty and and Kevin are guessing which person the serial killer is and Betty manages to get them all because of her intuition. Betty probably loves true crime. I feel like that makes sense with everything else we know about her. And Charles was probably showing like famous serial killers. There's a good chance Betty would have seen those pictures before. It's also, there's three people. It's not the hardest to imagine that you yeah, can just sort of guess. Yeah, there's 33%. Yeah. Yes. It was a little weird on the one where she's like, none of them are. But I just am so over the idea that Betty has this dark Betty and I don't need to be going back to that plot point and yet here they are shoehorning it in uh dark Betty made sense when it was like oh Betty is not perfect because her mom is crazy and her family's really strict and so she has a lot of pent-up aggression that makes sense Betty as like oh her genes make her want to be a serial killer and she has to repress that that's not the same and that's I, I it was even fine when they were just talking talking about how she has it rough because her dad was a serial killer. But you would think almost that she would then, like, she has never shown a tendency to be irrationally violent. Like, she can stand up to herself and things, but I just feel like this is very, yeah, shoehorned. Yeah, and I uh, I don't care for it. They talk about, of course, the serial killer genes, the MAOA and CDH13, because uh, w- why do we care? So Betty's freaked out and goes to the doctor to get genetic testing, which is crazy because the results came out immediately. Yeah, it was, it was amazing and really fast. It looks like she went to her family doctor to get genetic testing. Like, this is the most insane thing. She went to 23andMe or whatever it is. <laughs> 
And uh, also Kevin came with her and then she lies to Kevin. But don't worry, she's going to tell Kevin by the end of the episode that she lied to him. So that gets wrapped up real quick. And so Charles says serial killers show instances of animal cruelty during their youth. Betty remembers that her sister slash Edgar said she drowned caramel when she was a kid. Okay, let's talk on this real quick. So Betty has a dream of herself bashing caramel's brains in with a rock. And then when she talks to Kevin later, she tells Kevin, I guess, the real story, unless she's lying to him, but I assume this is the real story, which is that Caramel was hit by a car and then she was sad about it and because Caramel was in pain. So Betty asked her dad for help and her dad told her that it was her cat and that she needed to take care of it and he handed her a rock and made her bash its brains in. Both of those are very different than drowning your cat. Yeah, all of it is very different. Um, So the thing with serial killers uh, is there is the triad of behaviors that they exhibit as a child that indicate that they may uh, have like be serial killers. First one is setting fires. I don't think we've ever seen Betty set a fire. The second is wetting the bed far past when people normally do that. Never heard anything about that. And the third one is the violence against small animals. And we've heard of one instance in which her dad made her kill a cat because he apparently wants to make her a serial killer. Like none of this is adding up. Like if she was a threat, there would be like so many examples of her like drowning squirrels and killing cats and like attacking things. And there's just no evidence of that. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it really doesn't. It's trying to scare her into thinking that she might be a serial killer. But hey, here's a way not to be a serial killer. Just don't kill people. Because when it comes down to it, your genes set you up. Like maybe that's a correlation, but it's not causation. Maybe. Hmm, I don't know. That's right. Correlation does not imply causality. Boom. So uh, the other thing was like the journal keeping, which Betty freaks herself out about. And maybe, okay, maybe that was it. Maybe she went back and read her journal and then read the part where she had written down maybe when she was a kid about caramel and what really happened. So I'm going to assume that the thing about her dad making her kill the cat was the truth. That's what she ends up telling Kevin anyway when she's kind of being honest with him. Kevin is like, yeah, you know, Betty, (laughs) especially with everything that's happened to you recently, I feel like maybe this FBI training is like not the best thing for us and we should probably quit. I really like the fact that he says that they should withdraw, not just her. Like he's going to stick with her. I like that. That's very nice. I mean, he never wanted to be there. He just wants to be included in Betty's life. Yeah, but maybe he was like being a baller FBI person too. I guarantee you he wasn't. Every scene was just a dark classroom with a friggin' slideshow and then uh, Kevin just sitting there looking uncomfortable. I guarantee you he did not want to be there. Yeah, and so Betty and Kevin discuss the fact that they don't really know Charles at all and that they kind of want to figure out if he maybe he's a serial killer. I love how it's like you have to jump. It can't just be he's either a normal FBI dude or he's a serial killer. It's like there's no middle ground of maybe he's just a little creepy because I don't think he's a serial killer. I think he's creepy and I think he's probably a bad guy, but I don't think that he, like, he doesn't have to be a serial killer then. I mean, uh, no, in Riverdale, there are good people and serial killers and there is nothing in between. Okay, great. Betty says, you know, he's like, why are they still in Riverdale? We forget about the tapes because wasn't that what he was supposed to be investigating? I don't know. I don't know. He was helping FP with some cases. Yeah, apparently. So she wants her and Kevin to stay close to Charles and not drop out of the class because Charles also tells Betty that he also has these genes and that he also is like susceptible to being a serial killer which is why he joined the FBI. Yeah he joined the FBI so that he would not become a serial killer and I'm bored. I'm this is horrible. This is just so lazy and annoying. So I want to talk about logistics because here's the thing. Let's say that he is a bad guy and 
his sole purpose in coming to Riverdale is to reconnect with his also creepy sister, stepsister, half-sister, that's what it is. He (laughs) wants to reconnect with his half-sister who also has these genes and he wants them to do crime together. And in order to do that, he comes home, he tries to get Polly and her against each other, he listens in on hers and Jughead's phone calls, he gets close with her mom, and then he even sets up this fake junior FBI program for Betty to join. He, you know, just to get her to start thinking that she might be a serial killer and blah, blah, blah. He goes through all of this trouble, including making logo t-shirts with junior FBI on them, which seems extremely excessive. And I just think this is a lot of work where he could have just, he, he, this is, he could have just come back and been a chill bro and gotten close to the family that way. As we said last week, like they've already done a plot point of like a fake Charles being a bad guy. And so whether this is the real Charles or not, I'm sick of the whole Charles bad guy idea. They didn't need to do this. It is unnecessary and I'm unhappy about it. Yeah. Yep. So we got a couple comments on this. What up, Tim on Twitter said, Betty confirms her H1N1 serial killer gene. I don't think that's what it was called, but okay. Charles says he has it too. Uh, Chuck, Hal is not your father. There's no significance to being related to Betty in this case. Which, yeah, I don't know why Charles would also have this. Unless Alice is a carrier... Yeah, is that how it works? Is it like colorblindness? I don't know how genes work. Like, I am far from a scientist. Where's Liana? We need her to explain this to us. Well, if it is a recessive gene and females are usually the carrier, much like colorblindness, then it would make sense if Hal... No, but they said that Hal doesn't have that gene. Remember, that was the weird thing? Well, I don't think every serial killer has specific genetics. But this seems, like, dumb. It's like, Betty, you have these genes, which means you're susceptible to being a serial killer. Oh, but your actual serial killer dad didn't have them. So then clearly we know that it's not a hundred percent so like why are we even talking about this also what up tim said does charles tell people that his brother and sister are dating i hope not yeah i don't think charles has any friends and i don't think that he talks to uh his brother at all because we haven't seen like any interactions with them yeah um i feel like if charles had friends he wouldn't be doing all of this yeah tom palmer said a betty spinoff like a dexter reboot with betty being a serial killer that kills other serial killers or does it need to be veronica maybe running for president or something i think it could be both i'm sure that's already a fan fiction yeah it probably is a fan fiction Uh, i would like that so not surprised by where any of this went uh let's go to the jughead plot line shall we so he's still at his uh bougie prep school uh he is still researching the four like the stonewall four that went missing so cool part of the halloween episode is apparently relevant he's like four people actually have gone missing and it's the same as what happened to moose moose went missing too and donna basically is like look i've been texting with him he's at basic training okay i had a friend who went to basic training you can't text people who are at basic training unless basic training has changed in the last four years when she was there you like you are cut off you get like one call the entire time you're there and it's just with family members like you cannot just be texting people who are basic training or or moose is at some really chill basic training i'm just shocked that he got into basic training so fast i think that 
Donna's he lying. Must, he must have joined at the perfect time. Why are we trusting the words of a person who just drugged him last episode? Good question. And why did Jughead not mention any of this to anyone? I don't know. Except for, it, I guess, Betty at, at the end of the Halloween episode. But Betty's reaction was like, oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. What a cruel prank. Not like they drugged you and then locked you up for 24 hours. I don't think it was 24 hours. It was a while. I think anyway. it was like 12 hours. Maybe. Yeah. So, okay. Ugh, this this plot line. This is when I was mostly shaking my head. So Professor Chipping gives his students advanced copies of his latest novel. I don't know why he trusts these kids. He's a ghostwriter who wrote a book called Ten Little Boy Scouts, which is way just a ripoff of Ten Little Indians. And it's a Baxter Brothers mystery, which is definitely just a ripoff of Hardy Boys. Yeah, it's the Hardy Boys of the Riverdale universe. Jughead doesn't seem to understand how ghostwriting works because he's like, but some of those books came out so long ago. And it's like, yeah, it's just like all of those mystery books. Like you think that the Nancy Drew books were all actually written by Carolyn Keene? No, I don't think anyone's actually named that. It's just people write them and then the next person takes up the identity. Brett is like scoffing at Jughead who's getting super excited because he loves these books. It's like, dude, your teacher, you're making fun of your teacher by making fun of the fact that Jughead likes these books. Whatever, Brett can leave. I'm yeah, not Brett's just it. like, uh, how dare you like stuff? You're such a loser. And I'm like, Brett, you are the biggest loser of all. You've probably already peaked. How does that yes. feel? And Chipping is like, oh, you guys should come to this wine and cheese party that we're, even though you're underage, that we're having for the other ghost writers and we're all meeting together for this book release or whatever. Which sounds super fake. Yeah. So Jughead goes home and he's looking for all of his Baxter Bros books and his dad's acting kind of weird about it because his dad's like, oh, you grew out of those. And Jughead's like, oh, but you used to buy me one every whatever. And then here is the part that really annoys me because Betty's with him when she when he's finding these books and she's like, oh, I liked them because they had crossovers with Tracy True. I'm sorry. We already live in an established universe that Nancy Drew books exist in. This is clearly just something that they've changed because of the Nancy Drew TV show because it's now weird to have that as a crossover. But like season two with the Black Hood, there was a whole plot line of Betty reading Nancy Drew books and her dad using a Nancy Drew book code. They weren't called Tracy True back then. Yeah, it's very annoying. But on the plus side, close but no cigar. Yes, it is. We had a couple of those this episode. We'll get to that at the end. But yeah, close but no cigar retroactively for whatever yeah, it's, reason. It's very annoying. It is definitely annoying that they did that. And then like, yeah, FP is super weird about it, about like, yeah, you outgrew them. That's why I stopped buying them. And it's like, okay, this is bizarre. Adorable Jughead's like, I'll never outgrow these books. Yeah, he's got like a box of them. And like, again, they look exactly like Hardy Brothers books. And he like brings them back to school with him so he can read through them and go back to the these old mysteries, which is like so relatable to me. Like I grew up reading Nancy Drew and Trixie Belden, but I love those like I'm sorry, who? Don't you mean Tracy True? No, I actually don't live in the Riverdale universe, so oh, I read Nancy okay. Drew. That's shocking. So Jughead's a jerk, and he's reading at night with a light on, and then he switches to a flashlight, which is, like, marginally better. He notices that there's a page missing in the front of his book that he ha- somehow has never noticed. Yeah, it's so f- so weird that Jughead would have never noticed this before, especially based on him being like a very curious child. There's no way he would have not noticed this before. Apparently he didn't develop his curiosity until later. So they meet some old guy who's the originator of the Baxter Brothers franchise, Francis Dupont. And uh, he's like, yeah, we're looking for a new ghostwriter. I don't understand why Chipping was only allowed to write four books. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that they only had one ghostwriter going at a time. I feel like it would make sense to have 
multiple people working in that Maybe universe. So that the style isn't just constantly changing? I'm not sure. And they're like, oh, we're going to have a contest. You guys need to write the first three chapters and then outline the rest of the next book. And Brett's like, I'm going to win, obviously. And then he's like, what style should it be in? Shouldn't all the books be in the same style? Yeah, it should be the style should be the current current style of the book. Style of the Baxter Brothers books. Like, it yeah. doesn't, like, know. shut up, Brett. There's a lot of people in the world, maybe named Brett, maybe not named Brett. He needs to just hear, shut up. <laughs> Fair. So Jughead's researching Francis Dupont, which is not the way they say it in the TV show, but I'm just saying it that way. Dupont. So he's looking him up in the yearbooks and he finds out that Francis was friends with his grandfather, Forsyth the first. And Francis is like, yeah, Forsyth was an amazing writer. He also would tussle occasionally and that's why he got voted out of the school. Yeah, he only lasted a semester apparently, which I feel like is new information. Is it? Like, I, I feel like I mean, like, I, I guess they said he dropped out. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so I guess he got kicked out for fighting, which is pretty badass. And DuPont's like, oh, I really want to, like, how's your dad doing? Come hang out with us at the wine and cheese party. But Jughead's dad is like, nah, I don't want to learn about my father because he was a jerk. Yeah, it turns out that uh, Forsyth Pendleton, Pendleton the first was uh, an abusive father who then abandoned them. There is, and Jughead does bring it up himself, but there is a little bit of like, FP, you literally told Jughead to go to the school and part of the selling point was that his grandfather went there and now he's like mad about it giving him whiplash but at least Jughead yeah. is I can't really sit in the show for that because Jughead does bring it up himself they go to the wine and cheese party and there's like a bunch of kids there I thought it was like oh this little group of five kids was special that they got invited but apparently no they're not special it's just a school function you know yeah also they said they were gonna meet all of the other old writers but apparently like DuPont is the only one they want to talk to so they play murderer which have you ever played murderer um I have played it where it's called murder wink okay so that's probably similar because we but used, I think we, it's the same game I think it's the same game too we used to play it but we would play murder in the dark which was the same thing except you turn the lights off and instead of winking the murderer touches a person so huh and then you turn the lights back on and the person's dead um it's just a little creepier but it's actually a harder game to play because you can't really spot the murderer as well yeah because you're not like who's winking a lot yeah so Jughead is the murderer of course and somehow they which was stack clearly the deck. planned yeah like, it was definitely planned it definitely was Jughead kills Donna immediately which good payback for her drugging him I guess I don't know why it comes down to Jughead Brett and one other dude because like you would think Jughead would have killed Brett earlier but maybe the thought was like oh if I kill Brett Brett's just gonna shout out I'm the murderer or something and like not play along but which it seems like dumb because that's exactly what he did it's also really dumb because so there's three people left Jughead winks at a dude the dude dies and Brett like watches the dude die and then there's like a five second count and in that time Jughead kills Brett and Brett's like wait Jughead's the murderer it's like dude you knew it wasn't you so the second the other guy died you should have known it was Jughead there's no other options yeah Brett's a big old dummy and a sore loser yeah basically unless Jughead was to like wink wink really fast at two people I don't know how Jughead would ever have normally been able to win this game but whatever I guess it's who can speak faster or wink faster Brett's kind of butthurt about this whole thing I'm not really sure why it's like dude you made it to the end you did a good job so you don't it's not like you lost embarrassingly well he's a 
he's a whiny baby, so when he loses, he is embarrassed. Yeah, this, along with Archie, Brett is the other Draco Malfoy in the show, clearly. So, Brett is like, oh, Jughead, you're only at the school because you're a charity case, and blah, 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 you're as worthless as your grandfather, and it's just more of the same, and Jughead shoves Brett onto a desk, and then I think he was gonna, like, pummel him with a stapler. He was gonna hit him with a stapler, and I would like to see it. Yeah, I would have kind of rathered him, like, open the stapler up, and he would, like, staple him. That would have been more intense. I don't, I, but I feel like if you, like, whack someone with the whole stapler, you'll actually do some damage, whereas if you staple them, it's like, eh. It's just <laughs> single staple. Like, what's that really gonna do? Yeah. Like, he might have to go to urgent care, but, like, yeah. So Jughead's like, that's it, I'm gonna quit. And then FP is like, don't quit. And then Jughead finds out that the books were actually sent to him by his grandfather and not FP. Because not only has he never noticed the first page missing before from every single one of these books, but he's also never noticed that there's the indentation where someone has clearly written a note. Well, Jughead has clearly him. always been right, reading these books in the dark. He finds a note from his grandpa and FP asks him not to look for his grandpa. Yeah, the note is like, it's a long thing that's like, happy birthday, you're the best. And then it's like, trust few and never let them take anything from you. And it's kind of intense. It's a lot. Like, especially because those were given to him when he was very young. Like, that's a lot to put on a kid. So what that makes me think, actually, is maybe Forsyth Pendleton the first actually wrote the first of these books and it was stolen from him by Francois. Francois. I have a slightly different theory, which is that uh, FP the first is Francois. I feel like he wouldn't have invited uh, FP to it. That's why I thought he did invite him was so that he could see. Oh, but maybe he but he would recognize him. So maybe not. Okay, so I like your idea. I definitely think 100% Forsyth the first wrote some of these books, though. Yeah, 100%. I think that he maybe wrote the original one. Yeah, I could totally believe that. That would be that would be cool. And then like I could see him being like becoming like a an alcoholic uh, when his like life work is stolen from him and he doesn't profit from it and like that kind of thing. Like I feel like that could happen. I feel like that's too smart for Riverdale but I like this theory. It also ties in and would make sense of why Francis was like oh yeah your your grandfather was like my best friend. He was super smart and he was a great writer and oh yeah it was just so long ago. I have no memory of how he got kicked out of school. So I think that potentially he could have stolen his work and then done something to get him kicked out of school or like somehow. Or they fought about it convinced him to drop out yeah something like that yeah i I feel like this has legs but you're right it could be too smart for riverdale but i like this theory and then the baxter brothers competition starts and jughead's like yeah also i want you to to call me foresight from now on which is okay i guess just steering into the skid yeah also the theme for this book is the perfect murder which is a really boring theme a very boring theme, and I also feel like, in general, Hardy Boys-style books probably wouldn't be super murder-focused. I feel like a lot of them are, like, robbery-focused. Yeah. But I could be wrong. I think I only read one Hardy Boys book. I was uh, definitely fitting into those traditional gender norms by reading Nancy Drew. Yeah, well, that was the time. So then we get a flash-forward, which, for the first time, it, like, it doesn't even seem like a flash-forward. It seems just like another scene, because you see Betty, Veronica, and Archie are all in school, and and biology class or something and then FP comes in and he's like Betty, Veronica, Archie you're under arrest for the murder of Jughead Jones and oh hey Mad Dog's still in school so that's cool. Yeah you know what he didn't drop out that's great. I feel like if Jughead was in fact murdered his dad shouldn't be leading the case. He yeah. sh- they should be bringing in uh, different law enforcement for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. it, when your kid gets murdered you get to take a leave of absence. Also I feel like somehow this is all an elaborate plan that has to do with Jughead writing a book because it came right after the whole 
whole perfect murder thing. It's like maybe it's like he's trying to fake his own death. Yeah, but they like showed him being identified and I just don't yeah, understand how I, they would I do that. I still think that he's not dead. I still yeah, think I, that it I, was like he's drugged and like unconscious. I mean, made a really convincing wax figure and they paid off the current corner, which they've definitely am, done before. I, I mean, I'm inclined to believe that Jughead probably won't be dead, but um, I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe the show's getting canceled and it's going to end with Jughead's death. Maybe Jughead's been dead this whole time and the, the, these have all been flashbacks. I don't know. I wish I could say that I care, but they've been filling these episodes with so much garbage that it's really hard to care. Yeah. So title of this episode, Witness for the Prosecution, is an Agatha Christie short story and play. Kind of already thought we had done this title, but I guess we didn't. Have you ever read the book or seen the movie? Um, I have not for this one, no. This was another one that I read in my detective fiction class. So the short story was originally written in 1925, and it's about a man who's arrested for murder and his wife agrees to testify against him, sort of in a, like a plot twists ensue kind of way. But there's a 1957 movie also that's relatively good, so do recommend for anyone who likes it. It's a really, it's a short story. It's a good read. We had two new characters this episode, Hermosa Lodge, or actually we just heard her as Hermosa, I don't think, or Hermosa. I don't think we actually got a definite Lodge last name, but let's go with it. Yeah, she's a Lodge in spirit. Yeah, Francis Dupont as well. So those are some people. Do you think we're going to see Francis again? Probably at least for the culmination of this book. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll see him again, but I don't think we'll see a ton of him. Do you think Jughead's going to win? Uh, Jughead will win or Brett will like steal Jughead's work and win. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think Donna's going to pull out another surprise win, but we'll see. I mean, but maybe she'll drug everyone and then they just won't have time to yeah. finish. I'd like to re- know who those other two people were. I think Jonathan was one of the names, but who knows? It was like... Janet and Jonathan or something. Yeah, it was probably just like any name that you could imagine. Yeah. Basic. We had three, count them three, close but no cigars this episode. Actually, there might be a fourth, but I don't, I couldn't figure out if this was a close but no cigar. I tried looking it up. Let's go with that one first. Earlier in the episode, Kevin was like, oh, I'm probably going to just go hang out cruising the bathrooms at Sheds and Royal. Is Sheds and Royal a pun on something? Sheds and Royal. I looked it up and I didn't find anything, which makes me think hmm. that it's either just something they made up or it's like I wonder what a ro- play on something. Hmm. It seems like it should be a close but no cigar. Yeah, but it seems I like it. I don't know what it refers to. So if any of the listeners out there have any feedback on why uh, Sheds and Royal would be a uh, close but no cigar, please let us know because we are uh, on the fence. Yeah, I don't know if it's like Beds and Royal. I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know. But if it is, let me know. We did get, as we already talked about, Baxter Brothers and Tracy True and and I, I feel like the Baxter Brothers is not a close but no cigar. Well, it's okay. So the name is not a clever close but no cigar, but it clearly is a fake stand-in for the Hardy Boys, particularly yeah. when you look at the book covers. So I could go either I, way on that. Tracy True I definitely does. I get that, is. but I think it doesn't count, but Tracy True definitely does. Okay. And then the other one we had is Tucci Bag instead oh, yeah, of I a Gucci bag. Tucci bag. Yeah. So the Tucci Bag is definitely a thing <laughs> as well. Also, 99% sure that we have used the word gucci before in this show but whatever yeah, pretty sure but they love throwing in a close but no cigar at any opportunity yeah now before we get to our most normal person of the week i would like to read the review that we got this week from itunes because it's relevant Woo-hoo! 
Cool. Yeah. So uh, the review we got is five-star review from Booze for Brent, and it's called Quality Ear Gold. I used to watch Riverdale with my best friend. She had to move, leaving me alone in my Riverdale watching until I found Cast. Now it's like I have two new best friends in my life who will point out every plot hole, laugh at every inconsistency, and share an overall enjoyable time with me. The highlight of each episode for me is when they award the most normal person of the episode, which can sometimes be a real challenge. Overall, this podcast is a joy, and I'm glad that they take the time out of their day to provide us with quality entertainment about the show we all love to hate. Less than three. Thanks. Yeah, I really, really appreciated that. It, it struck home for me. So thank you so much for leaving that review. And of course, if anyone else would like to leave a review and be read right on the podcast, please leave us a five-star review at iTunes. That really helps the podcast get noticed. Especially uh, you Canadian fans. We have not had a new Canadian review in some time. And uh, we've got to represent. So please leave us a five-star review. Step it up. In this podcast, it's certainly not 50-50. So <laughs> step it up guys our, our friends in the north yeah come on fellow canadians stop embarrassing me like this let's talk about this most normal person of the yeah. week because i am having a hard time i have a thought okay what's the thought my thought is that it could go to kevin kevin now i don't hate it i like that kevin is just sticking by his friend and willing to do whatever with her for the character of kevin that is apparently just boy obsessed and nothing else that fits with his motivation for this well, episode but it's it's a little yeah so thinking back to everyone so Archie no he's a vigilante it's not normal Betty no the serial killer stuff and the genetic testing is outside of enough Veronica no she's talking to way too much law enforcement she's blackmailing a governor Mm, not happening Jughead uh, is like fairly normal but like this whole prep school thing is just so abnormal that I I don't I'm not comfortable nominating him for this at this time I think if Jughead was normal he would have dropped out of this school after they tried to kill him I have a thought yes is the most normal person brett because he's just a douchebag out of prep school he's a whiny loser when he doesn't get his way mm, interesting he's interesting classist well just to re- recap so far this season we have mad dog monroe Moore, hot caretaker darius and jb so if we gave it to brett that would certainly follow suit of uh only giving it to minor characters <laughs> Well, because I think all of the main characters are just too strange. Yeah, Brett versus Kevin. It's a tough decision. Brett is definitely a douchebag. I I think, okay, so I think where it comes down to is Kevin being interested in Betty's potentially serial killer brother is a little bit questionable. Although, Charles is hot, so I I get it. I just, yeah, Charles is very hot. Uh, We are famously uh, Wyatt Nash stands on the Kowski cast. The other thing is, I just have a hard time giving most normal person to anyone who's involved in anything called junior FBI training. That's true. That's now here is the argument against Brett is simply that he is he says things out loud like oh I'm gonna win obviously which I don't think is something that a real person would say but I feel like it is something that a real douchebag would say. I guess that's true. If he is our Draco Malfoy I guess Brett might be the most normal person of the week. I but I think let the record show it's a stretch at this point to name any Anybody normal. Yes, it definitely is. Yeah. Does Brett uh, have a last name? I don't remember. He might. Uh, Brett Douchebag McGee. Okay. Douchebag <laughs> McGee. 
Yep. All right. That's that's what we have him locked in as. Perfect. Love that. And I definitely do too. Just a couple other people who reached out to us on Twitter this week. And once again, if you would like your comments or questions right on the podcast, please feel free to leave comments on our website or to reach out to us on Twitter. And so we have a couple things. The CPA25 at Not A Calculator reached out to us <laughs> and said... <laughs> I listened to the season 1.2 episode today and on it Kirsten said that Cheryl must have absorbed all of Jason's attractiveness in the womb and then you talked about how crazy twin absorption is I thought that aged well and that maybe Kirsten is the knowingest know-it-all yes oh my god I'm a genius yes however when I rebuted that she said give me a month or two to listen to all the episodes and then I'll cast my personal vote on the knowingest know-it-all it's a title battle so far so we'll see okay well we'll uh, please keep us up to uh, at not a calculator. Yes. Gregory McBean also told us that as a teacher, he can confirm that hall passes are a real thing. So uh, well, that. and that is uh, very good because it shows that they are a thing in Canada, which yes. I've never heard of actually being a thing here. Maybe I just grew up in too small of areas where it was like, just go, like just leave. So that I give Greg one point. However, he loses a point for stating that he has multiple VCRs in his house. Yeah. What the, Greg, I'm going to give you a Netflix recommendation and it's called Marie Kondo. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. That was really great. Greg also just reached out to us while we were recording this and says that he's a little bit behind, but his power is back on. So that's good to know. Yeah, I'm very glad that it has not been two weeks with no power (laughs) because that would be alarming. It definitely would be. All right. Well, that's about it for this episode. We had we had a time. We had it was it happened. Yeah, it did. Uh, Thank you for joining us this week. Thank you for being understanding of our very busy schedules and why these are coming out later than we want them to. I think things will settle down pretty soon we will work on it yeah i'm i'm in the process of moving at the moment and i'm running a marathon and i'm in a play so there's a lot going on which reminds me i'm supposed to be off book tomorrow and have not memorized my lines it's just all happening together right now but yeah it's okay until next week for episode six you can follow me online at frail mary on every platform and you can follow kirsten online at kirsten said what on every platform you can also check us out at Kowski cast everywhere that's cow with a K. And if you haven't had enough of me, I was on a few podcasts over on Rob has a podcast this past week. So the Renap hot takeoff dropped on Saturday and has been receiving almost universally glowing reviews. So definitely check that out. I think that's the hardest I've ever laughed while recording a podcast. So uh, definitely check that out. And then dropping on Monday, which will probably be before this comes out, is uh, I was on This Week in Survivor with a pinch quizzer to battle Rob's Nino on Survivor Trivia and talk about everything that happened on This Week in Survivor. So please check it out. Those are both on robhasawebsite.com. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Get out of my way. Yeah.